Woe to you of earth and sea. Welcome to Satan is My Superhero, a show about art, culture, history, and the devil. I'm your host, Judas Falling. In this episode, I will compare and contrast the smallpox epidemics from the past with our present situation. You may believe the challenges we face today are new. They are not. Science denial is as old as science itself. The players change, but the script remains the same. As far as we can tell, Western civilization came in contact with smallpox sometime in the 2nd and 3rd century CE. Roman writers at the time described a pustular disease that seems to fit the bill. Smallpox is caused by the variola virus and has only been observed in humans. Symptoms begin with a headache and a general lethargy, followed by a rash around the face, trunk and extremities. This rash then evolves into deep and painful pustules, hence the pox in the title, which can ulcerate and scab over. Gross! The virus overwhelms the victim's immune system and in at least 10% of cases leads to death, often due to heart failure. Some estimates of the mortality rate back in the day go as high as 30%. The transmission rate of smallpox is actually considered to be quite low. You must have direct contact with infected material. But high population densities and ignorance of germ theory combined with smallpox's 10 to 14 day incubation period led to it killing hundreds of millions of people. Comparing it with COVID-19 today, COVID has a lower mortality rate but is far more infectious. Combine that with continued ignorance of germ theory, refusal to wear masks, social distance, etc. Excuse me ma'am, it is store policy that all customers wear a mask? I don't have to wear a mask. I have rights. Actually, ma'am, you don't have the right to harm others and the mask doesn't protect you from the virus. It stops you spreading it. So my mask protects others? Oh, well, now I'm definitely not going to wear one. Looking for the manager? Oots, oots. Asking for the manager? Oots, oots. Talking to the manager? Oots, oots. Getting kicked up by the manager? Oots. COVID also has innocuous, easily ignored, early flu-like symptoms. Hey, if you're sick, you shouldn't be here. Oh, it's probably just the flu. Influenza kills people, you know? Yeah, but only old and or people with weak immune systems. Shouldn't we take even more care to protect exactly those people? I understand what you're saying, but I'm not one of those people, so... I'm finding it difficult to care. COVID has killed at least 5 million people worldwide at the time of recording. That's 5 million people in less than two years. Admittedly, smallpox did kill hundreds of millions of people, but that was over centuries. The best estimate I could find for smallpox deaths in a single year was less than a million. That's a disease with at least a 10% mortality rate in the Middle Ages, compared to one that seems to have less than 5% mortality rate in the industrialised 21st century. Obviously, our society is far more densely populated and interconnected than it was in the past. This has provided COVID with the means to spread much faster than smallpox could ever have dreamed of. But still... I don't mean why the face, where's the fries, who's the fool, or the World Trade Federation. 
the story of how we eradicated smallpox is a long and complicated one, but I will attempt to give you a brief summary. Oh, this won't be brief at all. From very early on, it was noted that survivors of the disease seemed to be immune to any further infection. It became common practice in many societies around the world for these people to be put in charge of caring for the infected. Independently of each other, the Chinese, Indians and Africans began experimenting infecting previously uninfected individuals with a weakened or dead version of the virus. An early method involved turning dried up scabs from infected patients into a powder and rubbing it in the noses of the uninfected. I read some complicated theories as to how humans may have accidentally made this discovery, but I think it's much easier than you would expect. I dare you to grind up these scabby pustules and snort them up your nose. I'm not going to do that. I double dare. Dare. The most common method was wiping material taken from a pustule on an open wound, usually cut into the arm of the healthy individual. What you doing? Just sitting here being bored. Do you want to rub pus from my pox on your scratches for something to do? How long until they invent video games? About another thousand years. Yeah, alright then. It was found using a small sample of the viral matter would promote an immune response in the recipient. They would show many of the early signs of the disease, but these would be mild and not lead to a full-blown attack. Mostly. This we know now is because the viral load was small enough to give the body's immune system time to develop antigens and destroy the virus before being overwhelmed. These methods were known by many names. You'll most commonly see them referred to as variolation or inoculation. Obviously, it goes without saying this was more art than science at the time, and it did not always work out as intended. Some people simply got smallpox or some other horrible infection due to the crude methods. But the fact that these practices survived and developed over many centuries indicates to me they must have worked more often than not. And the sword of Damocles that is smallpox hanging over everyone's head made this barbaric practice worth the risk. It was not until 1714 that physicians Jacob Pilarini and Emmanuel Timoni studied inoculation in Istanbul and sent letters to the Royal Society of London detailing their observations. In 1716, Lady Mary Wortley Montagu, wife of the British ambassador in Turkey, had her own son inoculated. Once back in London, she had her daughter inoculated as well, where the Royal Society's physicians could observe and study the procedure and its effects. The Royal Society then conducted a successful experiment on condemned prisoners who were promised amnesty for taking part in the trial. I'd like to offer amnesty to these condemned men for participating in the experiment. You can't do that. Why not? What are they condemned for anyway? Stealing a loaf of bread? I'll have you know at least one of these prisoners stole two loaves of bread. The Princess of Wales at the time, Caroline of Brandenburg-Ansbach, whose father and stepfather had died of smallpox, nearly died from it herself, only months after giving birth to her first child, Frederick. The newborn baby was kept away from her while she fought off first the pox and then pneumonia. Her husband and future King of England, George II, stayed by her bedside and also caught and survived the disease. Georgie Porgy, please stay with me. I'm sure you'll be fine. The servants will keep you company. No, George, I want you by my bedside. Um, but I might catch the pox too. If you stay with me now, I will let you have as many mistresses as you like and never give you any grief about it. As many mistresses as I want? As many as you want. Okay, let's roll these dice. Caroline's oldest daughter Anne also survived smallpox. 
Caroline later observed some orphans successfully inoculated. So does this mean you'll be our new mummy now? Oh heavens, no! No, it's off to the workhouse for you. But look on the bright side: you'll never have to be beaten for missing a day's work with the pox. So Caroline then had her two youngest children go through the same procedure. Human experiments on prisoners and orphans. I don't want to get all judgy, but well, you know. I poke fun at Caroline, but she was actually a very cool person who was renowned for supporting the arts and sciences. She proved to be an excellent politician, and many believe was the real mover and shaker behind her husband's throne when he became king. Voltaire even praised her when she lay on her deathbed at the tender age of fifty-four from a burst bowel. She told George to make sure he remarried. He is alleged to have replied, and I quote, "Never, never. I shall have only mistresses." I think we found my new superhero. Twenty-three years later, when George passed on, he was buried next to her in an adjoining coffin with the sides removed, so they could be together forever. Seems strange. He didn't have another coffin on the other side of him for his mistresses. With their direct link to Africa through the slave trade, inoculation as a concept arrived in the Americas in 1706. A slave told the Reverend Cotton Mather, who had lost his wife, newborn twins, and two-year-old daughter to measles, about the practice. Practice of smallpox inoculation. Measles kills people. Are you sure everyone knows that? During what would become Boston's worst smallpox epidemic in 1721, he wrote to local physicians asking them to consider inoculation. In his letter, he quoted Pellerini and Timoni's correspondence from 1714. The only local doctor to take cotton seriously was Dr. Zabdiel Boylston, who then began inoculating anyone who would let him. Dr. Zabdiel already had a reputation as a maverick. He had been the first American physician to remove gallbladder stones and perform the first removal of a breast tumor. If Zabdiel Is maverick that makes Cotton goose. I don't know how I feel about that. I liked goose. Cotton and Zabdiel suffered an onslaught of criticism from the medical community in Boston. Physician William Douglas began writing in the New England Current, published by Benjamin Franklin's brother James, with the goal of discrediting inoculation. Thus began a fiery letter-writing war between Cotton and Douglas, demonizing each other and their points of view. Douglas would even claim the reports about smallpox were exaggerated and threatening the economy. A false rumor may tend to obstruct the towns being supplied with provisions from the country and interrupt all trade, commerce, and communication with our neighboring colonies. We reckon it our duty to expose this as imprudent and notoriously false. We find, from the arrival of the smallpox here about the middle of April last to the date of this advertisement, the burials in town have not exceeded those of other years for the same space of time. What's that smell? Oh, it's Douglas's pants on fire. We saw the same argument play out again throughout 2020, with politicians and partisan pundits denying the extent and veracity of COVID-19. Founding director of the Tea Party Patriots, Jenny Beth Martin, claimed, "The long-term consequences of a prolonged societal shutdown outweigh the damage done by the virus itself." In April 2020, emergency room doctor Simone Gold tweeted a photo of herself in front of the Los Angeles Cedars Sinai Hospital, claiming. Parking lots are empty. The emergency department volume is down. The patient census is down, and that's really in most of the areas I've been to. In July 2020, Cedars Sinai released this statement: Simone Gold, M.D., 
has not worked with Cedars Sinai Medical Center or any of its offices or affiliates since 2015. What happened? I had a little accident. Oh, that looks really gnarly. We better get you to hospital. In the middle of a pandemic? I don't think so. It'll be fine. Are you sure? It's bleeding a lot. Yeah, I'm fine. It just fell off. Are you still fine? Yeah. How are you with the needle and thread? By November 2020, the USA, which is home to only 4% of the world's population, accounted for 20% of the world's COVID deaths. In August that same year, Trump had retweeted a QAnon conspiracy claiming... This week, the CDC quietly updated the COVID number to admit that only 6% of all the 153,504 deaths recorded actually died from COVID. This was a classic piece of cherry-picking data to come up with the answer you are looking for. The 6% figure quoted by the CDC was real. It related to death certificates that listed nothing else but COVID as the sole cause of death. But if you were to take the time to break down the numbers further, you would find these death stats also include an unusually high number of respiratory diseases, organ failures and infections caused by COVID. You look dehydrated. I'm not drinking water anymore. (laughs) Why not? It turns out 100% of people who drink water eventually die. 300 years earlier, Cotton Mather had faced the same kind of misinformation when defending inoculation and wrote, I never saw the devil so let loose upon any occasion. The people who made the loudest cry had a very satanic fury acting them. Their common way was to rail and rave and wish death or other mischiefs to them that practiced or favored this devilish invention. The debate in the current became so heated that publisher James Franklin had to defend his own position in print. The courant was never designed for a party partisan paper. I have once and again given out that both inoculators and anti-inoculators are welcome to speak their minds in it. And those that have read the courants must know that I have not only published pieces wrote among ourselves in favour of inoculation, but have given as full an account of the success of it in England as the other papers have done. Yet, the envy of some men has represented me as a tool to the anti-inoculators. In 2021, social media giants like Facebook and YouTube found themselves in exactly the same position as poor old James Franklin. They have announced new vaccine misinformation policies and have promised to delete any content that poses a serious risk of egregious harm by spreading medical misinformation about currently administered vaccines. I'm positive vaccines are bad. I've seen the memes. How do you know these memes can be trusted? Uh, they have pictures. But in 1721, the noisy fearmongers got their way and the practice of inoculation was outlawed by Boston authorities. Our Top Gun duo, Zabdiel and Cotton, carried on anyway. By the end of the epidemic, they were able to run the numbers in what some believe was the first comparative analysis of a medical intervention. In the 1721 epidemic, Boston experienced 5,889 cases of smallpox with a mortality rate of 14%. Of Zabdiel's 285 inoculated patients, 6 died. That's less than 3%. 
Sure, 97% chance of survival sounds good, but most people don't really understand statistics. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to spend my entire life savings on lotto tickets. Cotton would write to the Boston Gazette in October 1721. But let us beseech those that have called this method the work of the devil, or a going to the devil, no more to allow the cursed thought, or utter the horrid word, lest they be found blasphemous of a most merciful and wonderful work of God. Despite these remarkable results, Zabdiel and Cotton continued receiving abuse. It got so bad, a homemade bomb was thrown through the good reverend's window with a note attached that read, Cotton Mather, you dog, damn you. I'll inoculate you with this, with a pox to you. Zabdiel's bio also claims this bomb story, so either this didn't happen at all, or both men had bombs thrown, or most likely it happened to one of them and history has just mixed up which one. I like this theory best because in both stories the homemade bomb failed to detonate, which would be unlikely for two bombs to fail. Is the bomb ready? Sure is. Have you tested it? What? Like have I done an experiment with it? Yeah. Well that would be science, wouldn't it? And aren't we anti that? No, if this bomb is meant to go off, the good Lord will make sure it works. Well, as long as you're confident. I'm so confident I'm not even going to light the fuse. We see this happening again today. In an echo of Cotton or maybe Zabdiel's homemade bomb, German virologist Christian Drosten was sent a vial of liquid in 2020 attached to a note which read, Drink this. It will make you immune. An Australian survey revealed 12% of COVID researchers had received death threats. A hospital in Branson, Missouri, has issued panic buttons to 400 staff members due to COVID-related violence with 123 assaults in 2020. Director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases in the US, Anthony Fauci, now has personal bodyguards for himself and his family. Chief Medical Advisor of the UK, Chris Whitty, was filmed being assaulted by two men in the street. In May 2021, Belgian soldier and shooting instructor Jürgen Konings, who was on a terrorism watch list, went AWOL from his barracks with four rocket launchers and assorted small arms packed into his car. He left a note which read, The so-called political elite and now also the virologists decide how you and I should live. They sow hatred and frustration. I cannot live with the lies. His intended target was virologist Mark Van Ranst, who along with his family were immediately taken to a safe house. The Belgian military conducted a manhunt for Konings. The most concerning part of the story is that during the manhunt for Konings, a Facebook group supporting him gained 50,000 members. A month later, Konings' body was discovered in a forest. The shooting instructor had shot himself. Let's go, I'm going to take a short break from the show right now to talk about my sponsors and Patreon. I don't currently have sponsors or Patreon, but if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by buying my novel. It's called Chaos Machine by Judas Falling. It's available through Amazon. You don't need a Kindle to read it. Almost any digital device will do. Don't forget, Chaos Machine by Judas Falling. Now, back to the show. In 1721, Cotton wrote in his personal journal about the attitudes he was facing in Boston. People who have Satan filling their hearts and their tongues against me and my family. I'll admit it's true. I don't like Reverend Cotton Mather. I have my reasons. As proven as inoculation was by this point, it still faced harsh criticism and resistance even within the science community at the time. 
The Boston medical community's reaction to it can be cited as a good example of the obstacles it faced. We have also seen this script repeated in recent times. In 1993, gastroenterologist Dr. Andrew Wakefield published a report claiming to show the measles virus causes Crohn's disease. His hypothesis failed to be proven true. In 1995, gastroenterologist Dr. Andrew Wakefield flipped the script, publishing a report claiming the measles vaccine causes Crohn's disease. Weren't you here a couple of years ago claiming measles virus caused Crohn's? No, that was... uh, Bandrew. Bandrew Wakefield. Again, this failed to be scientifically proven. In fact, by 1998, both these theories had been scientifically disproven. In 1996, after being approached by Rosemary Keswick, who ran a group called Allergy-Induced Autism, gastroenterologist Dr. Andrew Wakefield began looking for links between autism and the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine. I'm sorry, didn't you say gastroenterologist? You went and changed lanes without indicating... In 1997, gastroenterologist Dr. Andrew Wakefield filed for a patent of his own measles vaccine. I'm sorry, I'm confused. A gastroenterologist is a gut expert, right? You nearly cut me off. You really pissed me off. When you went and changed lanes without indicating. In 1998, Wakefield, with 11 other co-writers, published the infamous Ileal lymphoid nodular hyperplasia, nonspecific colitis, and pervasive developmental disorder in children paper in the respected medical journal The Lancet, and anti-vaxxers everywhere had their own personal Jesus. Thanks to the dogged research by reporter Brian Deere, who, by the way, is best known for uncovering some of Big Pharma's more inconvenient truths, the Wakefield juggernaut began to unravel in 2004. That same year, 10 of his 11 co-authors on the Lancet paper withdrew their names from it, claiming to have been duped by Wakefield. Kind of the opposite thing that happened to Jesus. In 2005, Wakefield sued Deere for liable. In 2006, Deere released documents proving Wakefield had been on the payroll of a solicitor, Richard Barr, since 1996, who was trying to build a case against the MMR vaccine. Wakefield had officially received over £435,000. Now, Andrew, for us to win this case, you'll have to prove Deer is lying. Is he lying, Andrew? Um, actually, you know what? I forgot I've got another thing on. I have to go. See ya! Wakefield withdrew his libel case against Deer two days later. When Wakefield's Lancet paper was pulled apart, it was found that despite his basic claim that these children had contracted autism within days of receiving the MMR vaccine, it was found three of the 12 children studied were not autistic at all. Medical records proved five of the children had been flagged with developmental concerns prior to receiving the vaccine. It was also revealed that the 12 children Wakefield used in his study had been supplied through this network of families planning legal action against the MMR vaccine. Baby, I'm a In 2007, the UK's General Medical Council began a 217-day hearing and investigation into Wakefield's 1998 paper. The General Medical Council found Wakefield had been paid to conduct the study by solicitors. 
had ordered investigations without the requisite pediatric qualifications including colonoscopies, colon biopsies, and spinal taps on his research subjects contrary to the children's clinical interests, had acted dishonestly and irresponsibly in failing to disclose how patients were recruited for the study, had purchased blood samples for £5 each from children present at his son's birthday party. How was the Wakefield Boys party? Well, put it this way, even though I made five quid, I won't be going next year. And the final charge? Had shown callous disregard for any distress or pain the children might suffer. The definitely not a narcissist, Wakefield called his autobiography Callous Disregard and released it on the day he was officially struck off the UK's medical register. This song is not a Wakefield moved to the bosom of science denial, America, where he is now anti-vax royalty. Why I have inserted Wakefield in this part of our story about smallpox is because I wanted to contrast him directly with the Boston medical community at this time in 1721. Like Wakefield, they were people of science. Unlike Wakefield, they were actually concerned about the health of their patients. They had, I think, very reasonable concerns about the safety and efficacy of inoculation. They had good reason to doubt a practice being touted by Reverend Cotton Mather. You see, I have purposely left a bit of Cotton's story out until now. You know, if you weren't going to mention it, I was. You see, Reverend Cotton Mather was instrumental in, and some have argued, the sole cause of the Salem Witch Trials. Cotton had a reputation for pseudoscience and had previously published many outlandish beliefs prior to his frenzied attempt to legitimise inoculation. Just because history proved Cotton correct on this one is no reason to damn those who doubted him at the time. Cotton Mather is the broken clock that's right twice a day. This inoculation sounds a lot like witchcraft. I assure you, it's not. Oh really? Back in Africa, who performs the practice? Well, it's the local shaman. The witch doctor. Well, I wouldn't call them that. But look, I really feel like you should at least try it. I'll tell you what I really feel like. I really feel like not being drowned to death will prove I'm not a witch. It's the only way to be sure. Look, can't you sweep aside your personal feelings for me and try it? I would love to sweep aside my feelings about you, Cotton, but I can't. Do you know why? You're letting your ego get in the way of reason. No, it's because no one in this colony owns a frickin' broom anymore. So the fact that the Boston medical community did eventually come around to the practice of inoculation once they were convinced by Zabdiel's work should not be overlooked. Even Dr. William Douglas would change his tune and start performing the procedure himself. Why? Because Douglas and his colleagues were always genuine in their approach and reaction. Wakefield has only doubled down on his position since being so completely proven fraudulent because it makes the supermodel dating presidential inauguration ball attending disgraced doctor rich and famous. I'm hesitant about getting my child vaccinated and I really want to hear both sides of the argument. Well, you've come to the right place. Now, let me introduce you to the work of St. Andrew Wakefield. Oh, no, no, no. Do you have any actual scientific evidence? I can refer you to a blog post I wrote. Does it reference the unequivocally disproven work of discredited, disavowed and disgraced Andrew Wakefield? Um, actually, you know what? 
I forgot. I've, I've got another thing on. I have to go. See ya. In 1722, Edmund Massey preached a sermon against the dangerous and sinful practice of inoculation at St Andrews Holborn, in which he began by quoting the book of Job. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Massey went on to preach... The devil, by some venomous infusion into the body of Job, might raise his blood to such a ferment as threw out a confluence of inflammatory pustules all over him from head to foot. That is, his distemper might be what is now incident to most men and perhaps conveyed to him by some such way as that of inoculation. That's right. With a straight face, Massey was claiming Satan was the first inoculator. He then argued there are only two reasons for disease, to tempt our faith or punish our sins. So any medical intervention is blasphemous. Have you got any paracetamol? No, and why would you want it anyway? Well, I've got a headache. Why do you think you have a headache? Well, I guess I've been watching a lot of porn. I know what you're going to argue. How can childhood diseases be punishment for sins? Massey is one step ahead. Diseases are not only judiciously inflicted for our past offences, but graciously also designed to prevent future. Boom. Mic drop. I'm sorry to tell you this, but your child is very sick. Oh no! What is it? Hard to say at this early stage, but judging where you presently live and your current socio-economic status... I would put my money on it being a future in white-collar crime. What? You know, fraud, embezzlement, tax evasion, that kind of thing. I I think I'm going to get a a second opinion. Great idea. Here it is. The family could fall on hard times and move into a less salubrious neighbourhood. Your child might end up in a gang, selling drugs pimping hoes and busting caps in the asses of fools who diss them. Oh, no, no. I mean, I'm going to get a second opinion from another doctor. I I never said I was a doctor. By the 1750s, it had been widely noted that people who had contracted cowpox seemed to be immune to smallpox. Cowpox itself is a much less virulent disease and does not seem to kill. Side note, despite its name, it turns out you are more likely to contract cowpox from a rodent or a cat. Their tongue is their toilet paper for crying out loud. While Englishman Edward Jenner is credited with coming up with the technique of inoculating people with the far safer cowpox instead of the incredibly risky smallpox, It had in fact been done and written about by at least half a dozen other Europeans before him. What Jenner did to stamp his name all over the practice was to literally name it. He called the process vaccination, derived from the Latin for from the cow, and then dedicated the rest of his life and fortune to promoting it. After many successful vaccinations, he published an inquiry into the causes and effects of the Verili Vaccini. Jenner lobbied the medical establishment and government with his results while travelling the country vaccinating volunteers. By 1801, over 100,000 Brits had been vaccinated. In 1800, American physician Benjamin Waterhouse adopted Jenner's method and found support from President Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson had himself been inoculated when he was 23. As a lawyer, Jefferson had represented doctors who had been attacked by anti-inoculators. 
Early in his political career, Jefferson had also worked on a bill to reduce restrictions on inoculation, and during the revolution had been privy to first-hand accounts of the British forces allegedly using smallpox as a biological weapon. Ready! Aim! See! These accounts encouraged George Washington to order all his continental soldiers to be inoculated in 1777. Washington himself had survived smallpox as a teenager. I'm starting to notice a trend among these pro-vaxxers. Personal experience with the disease itself. Just saying. It is no exaggeration to say smallpox would have stopped the American War of Independence dead in its tracks. Washington himself said, Should the disorder infect the army in the natural way and rage with its usual virulence, we should have more to dread from it than from the sword of the enemy. I think the subtext here is that it's un-American to be anti-vax. Compare this situation with today, and we find promoter of all conspiracies, Republican congressperson Marjorie Taylor Greene. In June 2021, she claimed COVID-19 is a bioweapon created by the Chinese. But confusingly, Green refuses to adhere to mask mandates, lockdowns, and is against vaccinations. One of these people is a great American patriot. The other is Marjorie Taylor Green. I really hope Green is never president. Miss President, the enemy has launched a full-scale nuclear attack. Hundreds of ICBMs will be detonating over the lower 48 within the hour. Norad are confident we can take most of the missiles out just before they get here and save the Republic. They just need your go-ahead to launch the countermeasures. I'm sorry, General, but I don't believe in taking defensive actions against an enemy's attack. It's been an honour serving with you. I suggest you take these last minutes to say goodbye to your family. In 1801, President Thomas Jefferson personally oversaw the vaccinating of 200 people at his Monticello estate in Virginia. They were mostly slaves, it has to be said. With the president's backing, vaccination in America was off and running. Obviously, with germ theory only in its infancy, there were still many problems with the transfer of infected materials into the arms of otherwise healthy individuals. But open and inquisitive minds were refining and developing the process to make it safer all the time. Despite the overwhelming success of vaccination and the support of statistical evidence, the anti-vax community was just as vocal as it is today. Respected Dr. Benjamin Mosley, who was pro-inoculation but not a fan of Jenner's new practice, would write, The human character may undergo strange mutations from quadrupedon sympathy, and that some modern Pasiphae may rival the fables of old. In Greek mythology, Pasiphae mated with a bull and birthed the Minotaur. Many cartoons were printed at the time depicting people receiving vaccinations, sprouting horns, hooves and tails, etc. Doctor, ever since I got the vaccine, I've been looking at cows in a different way. Hmm, What do you mean, different way? Well, you know, sexually. Oh. Do you have any advice? A stepladder? Another critic of Jenner, Dr William Rowley, wrote... The smallpox is a visitation from God, but the cowpox is produced by presumptuous men. The former was what heaven ordained. The latter is, perhaps, a daring violation of our holy religion. He's got a point. Yahweh does spend half the Old Testament infecting innocent people with plagues and poxes. A W. Halkett, claiming to represent the associate of the Medical Reform Society London and advertising himself not as a doctor, but as someone who... 
may be consulted on all diseases daily. Genuine drugs, patent medicines, botanic and eclectic medicines of every description. I think we get the picture. Produced a 20-page pamphlet in 1817 claiming... The Creator stamped on man the divine image, but Jenna placed on him the mark of the beast. This mark of the beast nonsense is a common trope from dumb people trying to reach into the hearts and minds of other dumb people. Let me just give you a random example. Um, Oh, look at this. Republican congressperson Marjorie Taylor Greene said the COVID vaccines are... Biden's mark of the beast. In 2021, Republican National Committee official Peter Feeman wrote... Diabolical! Michigan Governor Whiter wants her citizens to get the mark of the beast to participate in society. In 2020, Trump supporter, Pastor Guillermo Maldonado of the King Jesus International Ministry in Miami, referenced Revelation 13. And he caused it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Maldonado then said, People, I want you to look at me. That is exactly what is happening with COVID-19. They're preparing the structure for the Antichrist. Oh, I do wish they wouldn't go to so much trouble. Hogar preparations for the Antichrist. We've got everyone wearing masks so they can't smell the sulfur when the beast rises. We've got social distancing in place so they can't whisper amongst each other and spread rebellion. We've got most of them off the street in lockdown so they can't organise resistance. We're getting them used to an injection in the arm for when we're ready with the mark. And my favourite, we're pointing laser thermometers at them to get them used to having a gun pointed at their heads. Mostly very good, but the thermometer thing makes no sense at all. Oh, really? Yes, you don't want them getting used to a gun in their face. It defeats the point of the gun in the face. They should be uncomfortable with it. That makes so much sense once you've pointed it out. That's why I'm the leader. Now write up your plans and distribute them to all the usual crazy conspiracy theorists to disseminate and ultimately cause it to be instantly discredited if any of it ever comes to light. Just like we did with UFOs, JFK, the moon landings, 9-11, and school shootings? I'm quite sure I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you really are good. That's why I'm the leader. It has been noted by conspiracy theorists that if you number the letters that go into the word corona with their numerical position in the alphabet, they add up to 66. Add the fact that the word corona has six letters and bingo, you've got 666. Oh, you got me. Case closed. We can end the episode now. It has also been noted that a bill placed before the U.S. House of Representatives in January 2021, which authorizes the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to award grants for testing, contact tracing, monitoring, and other activities to address COVID-19 was designated with the number HR-6666. That's too many sixes. It won't be long before someone at Fox News notices another bill which also went before the House in January 2021, which aims to... Amend the Public Health Service Act to provide for public health research and investment into understanding and eliminating structural racism and police violence. 
does actually have the designation HR666. Ooh, now that's saucy. I'd like to register my opposition to HR666. Oh yes, what are your concerns? It sounds a lot like critical race theory to me. Hmm, interesting. I'm not sure exactly what critical race theory is. Could you please explain it to me? Sure, it's a uh, th- theory that's uh, critical about, about race. Uh-huh. This ridiculousness has got so far out of hand that respectable science-based organisations are having to deal with it while doing their best to keep a straight face. Hennepin Healthcare, with 10 hospital and medical centre locations throughout Minneapolis, state on their COVID-19 fact sheet, The COVID-19 vaccines do not contain a live or whole coronavirus, microchips, tracer technology, fetal tissue, stem cells, mercury, aluminum, luciferase. The mark of the beast, pork products, or preservatives. This is good because I'm on a strict organic vegetarian diet. What is the mark of the beast? Well, we'll go into it in more detail in a future episode, but for now all you need to know is it's a mark, as mentioned by Maldonado, on the hand or forehead that signifies you have willingly pledged your allegiance to the beast. All the theologians I've read have universally agreed that the mark of the beast is not a thing you can be tricked into taking. It kind of defeats the purpose. Big night last night? Yeah, I got so wasted I passed out on Phil's couch. I can tell. Your mates have written something on your forehead. Oh no, what have they done? It looks like the mark of the beast. The mark of the what? It means you're a soldier for Satan now. What? Hey, look on the bright side. You've been lacking direction ever since you finished school and your dad always wanted you to join the army. Yeah, but... I have to warn you, I'm probably going to cry when I see you in that uniform. In the same pamphlet from 1870, the quack Helcott also said, The creator made man's blood pure and perfect, and Jenna corrupted it with the diseased abomination of beasts. In recent times, anti-vaxxers have taken to referring to themselves as purebloods online. Where have we heard this pureblood talk before? Oh, here we go. Nazis again. That's right. Harry Potter. It's taken from J.K. Rowling's universe denoting wizards with an unblemished, no-muggle ancestry. Oh, I really thought he was going to go down the Nazi road there. You know, if you listen to enough episodes of this show, you'd start to think every bad idea in history ends with Nazis involved. Like, every single one. Oh, and there was an Austrian artist, philosopher and opera lover who wrote in this little book he published in 1925 called Mein Kampf... Men do not perish as a result of lost walls, but by the loss of that force of resistance which is contained only in pure blood. Nazis. Every time. Hey, I'm just going to take a quick break from the show to tell you about the novel Chaos Machine by me, Judas Falling. You're probably wondering what a science fiction novel has got to do with Satan. I don't think anyone is asking that. It's inspired by John Milton's Paradise Lost and Genesis. The book, not the band. It's really a science fiction version of Paradise Lost. It's all about Pilate, the leader of a failed rebellion against an all-knowing, all-seeing, tyrannical oppressor, and his daughter Provenance, who is destined to be the mother of an entirely new species. It's a very cool story, but don't just take my word for it. Check out this five-star review on Amazon. Well-structured, great pace, imaginative, superb detail. Provenance, mesmerising. 
Introduction to each chapter provides clever perspective. Peace next. By buying the book, you'll be supporting the show, which we will now return to. In 1896, Laura Little's seven-year-old son Kenneth died of diphtheria in Philadelphia. Laura blamed this on the smallpox vaccination he had received seven months earlier, claiming the artificial pollution of the blood had fatally weakened his constitution and left him at the mercy of the subsequent infections. In 1898, Laura moved to Minnesota and founded a magazine called The Liberator, which attacked modern medicine and science, claiming diet and exercise were the only way to prevent disease. She would tour the US and UK, espousing her ideas. This diet and exercise being the best defence against pathogens is a common argument from the privileged. You'll also often hear this refrain from those types: "I have an immune system." Yes, you do, you cute little primate. Vaccines are not some laboratory chemical induced to your body to render your immune system obsolete and fight the virus on your behalf. We are simply not that advanced. The vaccine primes your immune system. Your immune system does all the work. Instead of being ambushed and overwhelmed by some foreign invasion force it's never seen before, it has time to train and develop the correct strategy. That is what the vaccine does. The I have an immune system. Response is simply another way of saying I don't understand the science. Laura found a lot of support and became very influential in her adopted home state. In 1903, the Minnesota State Legislature repealed a 20-year-old law requiring all children to be vaccinated before attending public school. Minnesota would go on to suffer America's most deadly smallpox outbreak in the 20th century, recording 504 deaths. Thanks, Laura. During World War One, Laura was jailed under the Espionage Act for attempting to incite mutiny amongst U.S. servicemen by encouraging them to refuse the mandatory vaccinations. Welcome to the oral segment of the German spy school final exam. Question one: Are you a German spy? Nine. Fair. I think the argument about mandatory vaccination was best summed up by one of the 19th century's greatest minds and pallbearer for Charles Darwin, Thomas Huxley, who said, "If my next-door neighbor chooses to have his drains in such a state as to create a poisonous atmosphere which I breathe at the risk of typhus and diphtheria, he restricts my just freedom to live just as much as if he went about with a pistol threatening my life." If he is to be allowed to let his children go unvaccinated, he might as well be allowed to leave strychnine lozenges about in the way of mine. Everything goes in your mouth. Dog poop, ping pong balls, and anything else. At the time of recording, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has stated up to seven percent of U.S. military personnel are still not vaccinated against COVID. A small number of these have outright refused. Some have requested exemptions based on existing medical conditions. Some are finishing their service very soon, and many have requested exemptions based on religious grounds. None of the world's major religions oppose vaccination. There were some concerns in Judaism and Islam about pork products in the vaccines, but as Hennepin Healthcare advised us, that's not an issue. In 2021, the Australian Fatwa Council, after long deliberation and scholarly debate, concluded: The vaccine for the coronavirus is permissible according to the Islamic law, as there is no known religious harm attributed to being vaccinated, nor does it contain any forbidden substances. In Israel, there was much concern that the ultra-orthodox Jews would be vaccine hesitant. 
But again, after much reading of the Torah and debate, 80% of ultra-Orthodox adults over the age of 30 had been vaccinated by April 2021. Pope Francis has said, Vaccination is a simple but profound way of promoting the common good and caring for each other, especially the most vulnerable. Even the Christian scientists, not actual scientists, have come out in support of vaccination. Kind of. Concern for public health and safety is something that all responsible people share including Christian scientists. Grateful as we are to live in communities where honest differences can be respected, Christian scientists are also mindful of the obligations all citizens have to respect the rights of others in their communities. For more than a century, our denomination has counseled respect for public health authorities and conscientious obedience to the laws of the land including those requiring vaccination. As far as the other major religions from around the world go, few have one central administration, so there's a lot of variation, but the general consensus has been mostly pro-vaccination. According to research by the Vanderbilt University Medical Center, the vast majority of Christian denominations have no theological opposition to vaccines, including Eastern Orthodox, Amish, Anglican, Baptist, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mennonites, Quakers, and Pentecostal Christians. Sadly, some evangelical pastors in the U.S. have mixed up public health initiatives with their Christian nationalism rhetoric. And according to a study by the Pew Research Center, 45% of white evangelicals were unlikely to get vaccinated. Private, I hear you have refused the vaccine based on religious grounds. Yes, sir. What religion are you private? Um, one of the evangelical ones? Oh, wonderful, Private. I'm actually a lay preacher myself. Strange, I haven't seen you at any of my services I hold in the mess hall. Never mind, I'll see you at the Sunday service. This Sunday? Every Sunday, Private. Oh. We kick off at 0500. I like to get all fired up at the fury of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ before the sun rises. Um... Make sure you're there at old 400, Private. You can help me set up the pews and pack a lunch. I've been known to preach well into the evening when the Spirit grabs me. Actually, I think I might get that vaccination after all. Smart choice, Private. I've had it, and it only made me love the sweet baby Jesus even more. Okay, you're dismissed. Thank you, sir. Oh, and Private? Yes, Colonel? See you on Sunday. In 1900, American quack James Martin Peebles, spiritualist, theosophist, and seller of his own epilepsy cure, which obviously did not work, wrote in his book, Vaccination, a Curse and a Menace to Personal Liberty, with statistics showing its dangers and criminality. The vaccination practice has not only become the chief menace and gravest danger to the health of the rising generation, but likewise the crown and outrage upon the personal liberty of the American citizen. Washington would disagree. As we've already seen from Marjorie Taylor Greene and Peter Feeman, this politicising and appealing to the fringe elements along partisan lines is still a strategy in the anti-vax movement today. At a rally in Alabama, former President Donald Trump risked offending his moron base and defended the COVID-19 vaccine, stating, I did it. It's good. Take the vaccines. He was booed by some of the crowd and very credible, truthful and all-round definitely not a crazy psychopath bent on fame and influence at any cost, Alex Jones responded by saying, Maybe Trump's actually a dumbass. Oh, I'm not going to comment. I'll do it then. Hello, pot meat kettle. Trump may be a dumbass or maybe even he can see the price of partisanship might turn into a blood debt you don't want to carry. Trump did bring this on himself. 
Before becoming president and the weight of actual human lives hanging on his shoulders, the Don did openly court the anti-vax community. In 2014, he tweeted... Healthy young child goes to doctor, gets pumped with a massive shot of many vaccines, doesn't feel good, and changes autism. Many such cases. I've always wondered, what is Trump's first language? This is fun. I should do more jokes. In July 2020, a press conference broadcast on the very credible and balanced Breitbart news service went viral, pun intended, after being promoted by members of the Trump family. The unattended by any press press conference was organised by America's frontline doctors in association with the already mentioned Tea Party Patriots. In it, some very questionable health professionals talked up hydroxychloroquine and spoke against wearing masks, social distancing and vaccines. What do I mean by questionable? Speaking at the conference was Dr. Stella Emanuel, who is most famous for her belief that gynecological conditions are caused by demon sperm, transmitted during sex dreams with succubi. America's frontline doctor's founder and already mentioned disavowed by Cedars-Sinai Dr. Simone Gold said of the COVID vaccines. This is not a vaccine. This is an experimental biological agent whose harms are well documented, although suppressed and censored and growing rapidly. And we will not support using America's children as guinea pigs. Merry Christmas! Oh, Mummy, it's just what I've always wanted. Now, an American child is not just a pet for Christmas. You have to feed and water it every day. We don't want a repeat of what happened to Mr Mittens. I will, Mum. I promise. He's had all his shots, but we will have to take him to the vet next week to get neutered. Wait, what? Let me out of this goddamn cage. Oh, it's so cute. He thinks he's talking. What are you going to call him? Mr Mittens, too. On January 18, 2021, Dr. Simone Gold was arrested by the FBI for taking part in the January 6 Capitol Hill attack. How are the preparations going for taking the Capitol? We've got plenty of guns and people. We've even got an emergency room doctor on hand if anyone gets shot. Excellent. Now, I cannot stress this enough. What we are doing here is treason. If this doesn't spread to nationwide revolution, we could hang. How do we make this look like a big joke that got out of hand if it doesn't work? Everyone involved are known QAnon supporters. Jake is even going to wear a bison head. You should see him. He looks like an absolute buffoon. No one involved is a credible member of the institution. I thought you said you had a doctor. She's an anti-vaxxer. Perfect. A bunch of fringe lunatics took things too far. I think our necks are covered. Australian businessman and wannabe Donald Trump, Clive Palmer, has tweeted, I will defend and protect the Australian public from the Prime Minister's outrageous campaign with experimental vaccines. Palmer's United Australia Party uses the slogan, Make Australia great. I feel like I've heard that before. Self-appointed healthy lifestyle advocate Larry Cook announced for just $5 a month you could join his medical freedom patriots community too. Support the elected Republicans who are defending our medical freedom. He also points out his group is... Pro-God, pro-prayer, pro-Constitution, pro-Republican, pro-President Trump, pro-medical freedom, anti-vaccine, pro-alternative medicine, and QAnon friendly. You'll take $5 a month from anyone. The alt-right has insinuated itself into the anti-vax movement, which, you know, 
on the surface, has always been perceived as a bit of a lefty kind of thing. After anti-vaccine protests allegedly organised by construction workers in Melbourne turned violent, the Construction, Forestry, Maritime, Mining and Energy Union stated, This crowd was heavily infiltrated by neo-Nazis and other right-wing extremist groups and it is clear that a minority of those who participated were actual union members. Hi, can you direct me to your guns? Well, that depends, ma'am. What kind of gun are you looking for? To be honest, I really don't know anything about firearms. My yoga group was at an anti-vax rally organised by my chiropractor. And then a lovely gentleman with a shaved head informed me the only way to really protect my family from infection brought here by the immigrants is with a, um, a, uh, 15? God bless you, ma'am. If you carry on straight through men's undergarments, hang a left at the fragrance counter, you'll find the assault rifles right next to the toy department. It is important to judge people's opinions in a holistic context. What else do they believe? Quickly becoming the real star of this episode, Marjorie Taylor Greene told wholesome Steve Bannon, I don't believe in that type of so-called science. I don't believe in evolution. Former BBC sports broadcaster David Icke has claimed COVID is spread by the 5G network. Ike has also claimed you are currently being mind-controlled by aliens living inside the moon, which is actually their spaceship. Ike has also claimed the moon-projected holographic world you live in is controlled by the Illuminati, who create chaotic problems like pandemics in order to solve them with totalitarian measures. Oh, and by the way, according to Ike, the Illuminati are lizard people, just in case you're wondering. Convicted tax evader, young earth creationist Kent Hovind, who at the time of writing this episode is serving a 30-day sentence for domestic violence, claimed in his YouTube video titled Depopulation Through Vaccines and Chemtrails. Satan's goal is to reduce the population of the earth. You have to admit, it is a bit overcrowded. The questioning COVID website claims... Germ theory is a scientifically bankrupt paradigm based in warfare models of pathogenic invasion. This theory has been leveraged as an instrument for geopolitical and social control largely in the form of a vaccination agenda to subdue the populace through coerced and forced bodily penetration and associated disability, mortality, and surveillance. Don't lick that. You don't know what germs are on it. Germ theory is just a theory. Have you ever seen a germ with your own eyes? Exactly! Goop alumni psychiatrist Kelly Brogan, who is also featured on the Questioning COVID website, told Joe Rogan, I don't believe in germ theory in the classical sense, and neither should anyone. When discussing sanitation in hospital environments, she said of the bacteria on those surfaces, There's no bad guys. Everything works together. It's like a metaphor for life. In fact, there aren't really any bad guys. It's all, you know, sort of a part of the polarity of life. We need bad to know we're good. Have you ever heard so much white middle-class privilege in all your life? In October 2021, New Hampshire Republican State Representative Ken Wyler stepped down from the House Finance Committee after sharing a 52-page document authored by alleged Nobel Peace Prize nominee Dr. Vladimir Zelenko and author of the website StopWorldControl.com, David Sorensen, titled The Vaccine Death Report. 
In it, Sorensen and the alleged Nobel Peace Prize nominee Zelenko claim the COVID pandemic is all part of a Vatican and Illuminati conspiracy to inject 5G receptors into the human body to modify the thoughts and feelings of the population. They also claim self-described osteopathic physician Dr. Carrie Maddage had viewed the COVID vaccine through a microscope and saw graphene nanoparticles self-assemble into a five-tentacled creature that appeared to be self-aware. Maddage said of the experience, It knows we're watching it. It's just an intuition, a feeling of mine. It was very upsetting. The document also claimed naturopath Robert Young, who has been convicted of theft and practising medicine without a licence, discovered the COVID vaccine changes people's blood cells. The document cites Argentinian far-right extremist Dr Chinda Brandolino's view on altering human DNA via vaccines so as to legally take away human rights. And unnamed scientists in South America have observed babies born in Mexico to vaccinated parents with pitch black eyes who are aging too fast, as they can stand and even walk at only three months old. Not to be a pedant, but wouldn't those unnamed scientists be from North America? I mean, Mexico's not in South America or even Central America. It is part of North America. Now, in Ken Wilder's defense, he claims he did not read the document before sharing it. We've all done it. I've retweeted things I probably should have read more thoroughly. Personally, I would have been satisfied with a strongly worded denouncement of the document, but Ken felt so bad about it, he chose to fall on his own sword. Ken, did you read this before sending it out? I skim read the uh, first couple of pages. It's 52 pages of indefensible conspiracy theories. But it's co-authored by a Nobel Peace Prize nominee. Why on earth would it be the Peace Prize? It would be the prize in physiology or medicine of anything. Who said he was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize? He did. On One America News Network. No. Andrew Wakefield is a proven liar. Peter Feeman and Maldonado believe in the Antichrist. Stella Emanuel believes in demon sperm. David Icke has been mind-controlled by aliens inside the moon. Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't believe in evolution. Kent Hovind believes in chemtrails. Psychiatrist Kelly Brogan doesn't believe germs cause infections. Larry Cook is QAnon-friendly. Sorensen and Zelenko believe every conspiracy theory you've ever heard. Are these really the people you should take medical advice from? Howdy, it's the Reverend Steph here. Most of the music in this episode was supplied by the comedy disco punk band The Genuine Hoots of Joy. If you want to hear the songs in their entirety, check out Hoots of Joy on YouTube. You might recognise the lead singer. Uh, 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 okay, it's, uh, it's me. While vaccines have been overwhelmingly successful and their overall success cannot be overstated, there have been disasters along the way. As I mentioned, the original method of inoculation was far from hygienic and Jenner's vaccination methods suffered from poor understanding of germ theory and the importance of sanitation. But those were excusable in the day, and wishing to not sound so ruthless, but I will, the ultimate good they did outweighed the harm in the general population. Sadly, there have been some more recent eras which are quite frankly less forgivable. In 1955, 40,000 cases of polio in the US were actually caused by a bad batch of the Salk polio vaccine. This tragedy paralysed 166 people and killed 10. To combat a swine flu outbreak in 1976, a vaccine was hurriedly issued that seemed to cause an increase in the Guillain-Barre syndrome. The US halted their immunisation program in its tracks. 
So I think we must have some sympathy for people who are vaccine hesitant. It is a scary thing, especially when making the decision for your child. And there have been problems. But do keep in mind, as recently as 2018, 140,000 people worldwide died from measles that year, mostly children. 140,000 people killed by a disease we could have eradicated already. In 2019, the US recorded 1,200 cases of measles, the most they had seen since 1994. A disease that was nearly wiped out in America, but is creeping back in due to the lies of a creep. For clarification, he's talking about Wakefield again. The long-term effect of measles surpasses the deaths it directly causes. It is known to suppress the immune system for up to two years, and in the third world, that can be a death sentence. Sweden experimented with a moratorium on the whooping cough vaccine between 1979 and 1996. In that time, 60% of the country's children suffered the disease, a disease which has been called the 100-day cough due to the length of time the symptoms persist, a disease that kills just over 1% of babies who get it in the industrialised world. It killed over 160,000 children worldwide in 2014. Vaccine hesitancy led to 10 Californian infants dying from whooping cough in 2010. The current vaccines did not come out of nowhere. Moderna had been working on theirs for 10 years before COVID hit. We have so much more knowledge and technology than we've ever had before that we can better predict downstream effects of our medications. We've come a long way from rubbing scabs in our noses and seeing what happens. What are you doing? Just using my phone on the internet to deny science. Death is not the only concerning statistic for COVID. Guillain-Barre cases seem to rise after COVID infection and we've all by now heard of long COVID. While it is still early days, some tests are showing long-term brain and organ damage is a very real possible after-effect of the virus. If you're still vaccine-hesitant and genuinely looking for advice, why not listen to some based on the personal experience of one of history's greatest thinkers? Benjamin Franklin had been inoculated himself and was an enthusiastic supporter of the practice. Yet, when considering it for his own child, Francis, was hesitant. Benjamin's reasons for pause were well-founded and not unreasonable. I think many parents today can relate. Francis had other health complications which Benjamin was worried about exacerbating. Sadly, though, in 1736, four-year-old Francis died of smallpox. Franklin later wrote this in his autobiography. I long regretted, and still regret, that I had not given smallpox to him by inoculation. This, I admit, for the sake of parents who omit that operation, under the supposition that they should never forgive themselves if a child died under it. My example showing that the regret may be the same either way, and that therefore the safer should be chosen. By the middle of the 20th century, mandatory vaccination campaigns all over the world had eradicated smallpox. In the 1960s, it was noted your chances of having an adverse reaction to the smallpox vaccine were actually higher than the risk of catching smallpox itself. In 1980, the WHO recommended a halt in smallpox vaccination, as there had not been a naturally occurring case anywhere in the world since 1977. This is a rare, good human-induced extinction story. There are samples of the virus still stored in laboratories and debate rages as to whether or not these samples should be destroyed or studied further. There is some compelling, circumstantial, but compelling evidence to suggest COVID-19 may have found its way into the human population due to an accidental lab leak. What was that sound? I thought I heard you drop a vial. Um, no, that totally didn't happen. (coughs) Did you just cough? Um, 
actually, you know what? I forgot. I've got another thing on. I've got to go. See ya. The dust hasn't settled on that one, so we'll see where that goes. We are still in the middle of this pandemic. At the time of recording, 1,500 people in the US are dying from it every day. Just think about that number. 1,500 people a day dying in supposedly the most advanced country on the planet. A lot of Republican voters too. Something the GOP should be thinking about. Just saying. This crisis is far from over. We have the tools to combat it, but our old friends' greed, science denial and political partisanship are actively working together to kill people. In the 21st century, we should know better. What I've learned researching this episode is that anti-vaxxers almost universally have other agendas that are almost always attached to conspiracy theories. They target the uneducated or the privileged who have never seen a baby with whooping cough. Don't know a child that's died from measles. Too young to remember polio. Those who have avoided these experiences because of the herd immunity the rest of the community developed for them. Anti-vax promoters are pariahs propagandising to ill-informed free riders. Finally, I'd like to return to that 1722 sermon by Edmund Massey, who concluded with this little nugget. Let the atheist then, and the scoffer, the heathen and unbeliever, disclaim a dependence upon provenance, dispute the wisdom of God's government, and deny obedience to his laws. Let them inoculate and be inoculated, whose hope is only in and for this life. I have to say I agree entirely with that statement. I am an atheist, scoffer, heathen and unbeliever. And it's true. My hope is only in and for this life. And that's why Satan is my superhero. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, you know the drill. But more importantly, please recommend this show to just one person. I mean literally one person. Choose that person well. Where, why the face? Where's the prize? Who's the fool? <laughs> I think I burped into the mic on that one. I'm really sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the people... Oh, hang on. Sorry. That's to say, just felt my phone vibrate. How was the... <laughs> How was the Wakefield Boys party? <laughs> I can't do Scottish. Is that good? Was that good? Really, really good. Did I do a different voice? Who said he was nominated for a p- Nobel? Now run on your wheel, Mr. Mittens, too. Run on your wheel! <laughs> <laughs>